Hey, everyone, it's Brittany. We're on episode 101 with Rita Berry. Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. All right, everyone, I'm really excited to dive into this one. This is definitely a number geek out kind of interview, and I'm really excited about it because Rita speaks the language of both art and science. She'll explain exactly what that means later in the interview. But I want to tell you guys a little bit about my favorite takeaway before we dive in. And in it, Rita actually talks about how at the beginning of her entrepreneurial journey, she didn't understand the correlation between projecting revenue goals for the quarter or the year and outlining a marketing plan to actually get there. Now, with you know a decade of hindsight, she sees it's all about the numbers, and she's going to explain a little bit more about that when we talk about her story. But first, Rita Berry is a measurement marketing expert and the founder of Rita Berry & Co., a digital marketing optimization consultancy. For the past 10 years, she and her team have been helping women-led online businesses get clarity about every aspect of their marketing funnel and paid traffic campaigns. With that, let's go right on into the interview where you can hear all about the numbers you need to know in your business, the benchmarks you need to do and worry about as you're converting people with paid traffic, and what you need to do to get to the place where you're ready for paid traffic. Rita, welcome to the No Like and Trust Show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I'm really excited for you to be here as well, because I am in the brand strategy realm, and I definitely came into this business from a creative point of view. And your website straight up says, you know, data geek. And I love that because while I am really fascinated by numbers and tables and spreadsheets of information, it can be overwhelming for someone with my brain power and my, you know, <laughs> bent on life, if you want to call it that. So I'm really excited for you to share with our audience the things we need to be paying attention to, whether we're, you know, on the data side or the creative side and all of that fun stuff. So why don't you tell us a little bit as a kind of a primer of what you do? So I own a boutique marketing agency and what we specialize in is measurement marketing. So basically all of that stuff that gets done online all the posting on social, all the email marketing, websites, like everything that people do to gain awareness and get attention and convert people into customers for them, we measure the effectiveness of that. And then we also do paid traffic through Facebook ads uh, for clients as well. So they they often go together uh, because the better you know your numbers, the better you can run paid traffic. And uh, and often if you're running paid traffic and you don't know your numbers, a lot of the improvements that you can, you know, the money savings and better costs and things come from optimizing your numbers. And you can't do that without actually knowing them. So I consider them kind of one and the same, but uh, they are two kind of distinct services anyway. So it's interesting that you say when you are in this mode of not really knowing what the data can give to you, you're probably wasting a fair amount of money. And that once you do know a little bit more and have proper direction, the savings alone from that money waste will go towards a lot of these services. 
Exactly. Like, especially if someone has a kind of what we'll call, call a functional business, right? Like it's actually, there's a process that takes people from not knowing about the business to becoming customers. So there's like an, an established money flow, then that's usually where we come in. It's not in that kind of beginning planning stages. Usually it's once there is data to actually get in and measure. And then we look at all the different parts of the marketing funnel and funnel, not in that like gross direct response, kind of like squeeze money out of a stone kind of way. When I say like marketing funnel, I'm really talking about that whole customer journey that people have, which really ultimately is just three big chunks around they don't know you and you're helping them get to know you, like actually that first exposure. And then the middle section, when they're getting to know you better, they're learning about your products, your services, what you have to offer, your positioning, how you can help. So that middle nurturing engagement piece. And then the final part is how you turn interested, qualified prospects into customers. And that's really just the three chunks of a marketing funnel. And that can be done kind of on a macro level, right? Like how does your whole business do that versus a micro level when it is more of like those discrete funnels that people might be familiar with where you have like lead magnets and to tripwire offers and all that kind of stuff. That's more of the micro type sales funnel, but funnels can be looked at in all of those different kind of ways. So it depends what you're trying to do as to how you're going to look at them big or small. Yeah. And honestly, like all things online business, there's the big picture view and then the, you know, zoomed in view. And I almost feel like sometimes we need a new word for funnel because like you said, there's like the bro marketing kind of funnel. And then there's the, how does your business move clients through the business funnel? Right. Sometimes I'll say like buyer's journey or customer journey, because that's not like so barf in your mouth kind of thing. But the bro marketers, yeah, definitely have taken over the direct response sales funnel and made it so that none of us ever want to have one again. But honestly, both kinds of funnels done correctly are fantastic. It's really just kind of the, say it's the intent of the person who's creating them and how you're creating them and how you feel about your customers and whether you want a customer just today or whether you want one ongoing. You know, there's a whole bunch of different reasons that you would approach your marketing funnel in a much more holistic, thoughtful way than just squeezing money out of someone today and never caring about them again. So, and I imagine that's not really most of the people that you have to worry about that's listening to this. The audience listening to this is not the squeeze a few bucks out of someone and then kick them to the curb kind of people. That's not who we are. <laughs> so it's really interesting to me, some of the things that you're talking about with Facebook ads and how people put something out there. And and even I mean, I've been doing Facebook ads for a specific product for about four months now. And for me, it was kind of an intro to Facebook ads. Now, I'm technologically sound enough to be able to do this, but there are so many little things in the ad columns that I was like, well, what does this mean? Well, what does this mean? Um, wait, CTR is mentioned in three different ways. Which one is the one that matters? And it can be really overwhelming. Yes. The part about Facebook ads that I think is so deceiving is that the way that Facebook talks about it and the way that it's talked about in the online marketing world, it sounds fairly easy. And it is easy to get started as far as like plunking things in and turning them on. Like that actually, like the barrier to entry for that isn't too bad as far as like I consider it a lot more user friendly than like Google ads are or things like that. And the thing that's usually missed is that it's such a multidisciplinary task because you're creating creative, which is copywriting, and then you're doing image work. So you have all of that kind of graphic design or videographers, things of that nature. Then you've got data science, reading all those data columns, and just the technical interface of setting that up, plus the big picture strategy of Facebook ads don't really work unless your business and marketing work. Like it, it makes something work better that's already working. It can't fix something that isn't working. And 
if all those things aren't already in place, right, if you don't have those skill sets or someone on your team, it could be really challenging because the, especially between the graphic copywriting and the data side for optimization and testing are often two skill sets that don't live together in a human. So there, it's, it's just very, very challenging kind of to know where to start. And people often get into it thinking, oh, you know what, this isn't too bad. Everyone's telling me I should do it. And then kind of realizing the scope of that task isn't quite as simple as just set up a Facebook campaign. Even from a creative point of view, and this is very much just my personal anecdotal experience here, my background is in graphic design and photography. So like that part for me should have been the easy part, but it wasn't. I figured out how to do audiences. I figured out how to target right. I figured out a whole bunch of those things. But it was the creative, initially at least, where I really got hung up because the things I was choosing were not converting, or at least not at a profitable level. And I finally ended up putting together something that I don't personally like. And by all means, with everything I know about my best client, my ideal client avatar, it shouldn't have worked. And yet that is what converted like gangbusters. And from a creative point of view, I was like, no, no, I should be right here. This should be the thing that works. And it wasn't. And obviously, when you're spending that kind of money, you're going to go with what works. Right. And that still to this day, I mean, I don't even know how many years I've been running Facebook ads, but like there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to $10 million now that I put through the platform. So it's a lot, a lot of money and a lot of testing. And I still look at two ads and go, I think it's this one. And then I'll be wrong. Like it just, it just happens, you know, and I'll, I could have like a hundred reasons why I think this is the best one, right. For all those reasons you mentioned, this feels like a better audience fit and this will help people self-identify with who this copies for it's aspirational or it's like all those sorts of things, right. You can articulate it so well, but the platform ultimately like Facebook, when they're measuring which one is going to be more successful, right? And they're running these all these through around action rate is basically what they're looking at. How are the people on the platform responding to that creative? And it's a whole bunch of things, right? It's the copy, it's the image, it's both together, right? All of those different combos. And they can measure things that with the, all the machine learning that we have no way to comprehend with our human brain, right? Like there's so many things they know about all of us that's terrifying. <laughs> and, and that's always, I'm like always, that's what I always default to is like, you know, like, you know what they have, maybe 500 data points on this person, whether they paused when they were scrolling or whether they just scrolled really fast, they, all of those like minute things that we don't even think about, they're able to measure how that ad is performing in so many different ways that they're able to surface the most successful ones for us. You know, and it's so funny that you said that, and I'm going to come back to what you just said in a minute, but it sparked something. And a lot of people are on Instagram and they like blaming the algorithm. Oh, it's the algorithm's fault that this isn't happening. And, and the reality is, if you're putting out content that your audience wants to see, the algorithm keep serving it to them. And then I'm also sitting there, you know, scrolling through Instagram, watching someone's stories while I'm with my kids. And I stick my thumb down on a story to pause it because my child's asking me a question and I need to deal with it. And I, I sit there wondering, I wonder how much that messes with the algorithm? Does it think that I'm really super interested in the story when probably I'm not? And, you know, all those little pieces of data that we rely on as truth, as fact, I wonder how many of them are really just user error or or not even user error, but lifestyle adjustments, you know? Well, I think this is a really good point, especially when people are looking at their own data, right? And they're looking at marketing data, whether it's in Google Analytics or Facebook ads or anything like that, and they see anomalies, right? Which something like that might be for you, where it's all of a sudden there's like an unusually long amount of time that's hanging out on a story. Or it's, for example, like a really amazing day in Google Analytics. Whenever we're looking at that kind of data and there's an outlier is what we would call those, usually it's an error, 
right? Like if you see an outlier in any data, the first question is, is this wrong, <laughs> right? Because it's not like, oh, that was a great day. It's more like, was there a tracking problem? Do I have two pixels on my site? Like those are the questions that we're asking instead. And instead of just those one amazing day or, you know, which is often the case for entrepreneurs or the terrible days where they're like, this didn't work and I'm a terrible business owner. It's what are the trends and patterns over time that we are looking at with individuals, with your audience, with your website, the trends and the patterns are infinitely more important than the high days and the low days, because those are really indicative of just individual circumstances and not how your business is doing and marketing over time. So it's kind of the same idea. Facebook is once again, like I, my brain doesn't even begin to understand the intricacies of machine learning. That's something that we just do with regular data science is throw it out outliers. So I would imagine that that's all part of the grand plan over there too. Yes. I never even went there. Never even occurred to me. <laughs> I have to see them all the time because people send them, they go, look at this amazing day. Like we should build our whole marketing plan around this one single event. And it's like, well, no, that's a great day. But like, what's the learnings we can take from that day if it isn't an error? Because a lot of times it is, right? There's just some tracking problem and I get to burst everybody's bubble and say, no, that was like a 3% conversion rate, not a six. I'm sorry, right? But the truth is always better, even if it is unpleasant for a moment. Gotcha. Okay. So that was great. I'm actually really glad that you made that point because like I said, it didn't occur to me at all. And right before that, we were talking about how sometimes you have two ads or 50 ads, who knows, right in front of you and you think it's going to be this one and then it's not. So from the data point of view, are there clues that you regularly see in, in what you prepare for your clients as to what's going to perform better in the future? Or is it kind of that crapshoot every time? It's more that like you get to know the nature of the business that you're working in. And like I almost see each niche has its own flavor because the folks that I support that are in kind of the coaching space and courses and things like that, there's often a flavor of what's going to work over there whether that's like a trend that's happening on the platform or just an overall marketing trend, there's certain things that work better. And you kind of learn what those are over time. And most of the time though, with kind of the bigger picture, what is gonna work and how do we know if it's working, it's understanding the math of the business, which is where kind of those metrics come in. Cause I have some clients that they can have a $50 lead right? And that's nothing you'll ever see anyone brag about on a Facebook post either, right? We have Facebook ads and we're getting $50 lead and that's amazing because overall in that marketing conversation, that doesn't sound very sexy, right? Like nobody wants to talk about that. But clients that I have that have very high-end expensive offers that have, you know, their five-figure offers that they're putting out there, a $50 lead is amazing. The margins on that for them because of their business math, because of the conversion rate of their funnels, like big picture marketing funnels, because of their the cost right of that program and how much it costs to deliver it, their margins are amazing. And we would expect that for an expensive program, the leads would be more expensive. And then on the other end, you know, I have clients who if we spend more than like three or four dollars on a lead it's going to start eating into their margins because their product isn't that expensive you know and that's the most important thing to understand before you get onto the platform is just what are the costs in your business like how many people convert from a lead to a sale like just some of those basic conversion rates can help you decide okay, well then how much can I spend on a lead? Like if I know that every hundred leads, I get one sale, you know, then I know how much my sales are, therefore how much am I willing to pay for those hundred leads? And just really like big chunky math, not even like really giant spreadsheet, super detailed math, 
when you get that big picture view, it's when you can make informed decisions so that when you start running those ads, right, and you start seeing that $5 lead, you know if that's out of bounds for you. Because it's one of the most common questions I get is like, what's a good lead cost? And I said, I have no idea for you. Like it really depends on that business math for you. And the only way to figure that out is to kind of figure out those big bucket numbers. And then you can make a really informed choice for yourself. And you maybe want to spend more than, you know, someone else in your same niche because you can afford to because you have better margins. There's a lot of things to consider when it comes to that that helps people make more informed choices. I know the first time I saw webinar funnel average numbers. And I say average, you know, with a grain of salt here, because like you said, a lot of this is very niche specific. But I think it was the first time I realized the difference between a one-on-one or in-person business versus an online business, because I was used to going into a you know, networking function or something and, you know, picking up a few leads and at least one of them would convert into a client. And it wasn't that I was going into a function like that, you know, saying you are now going to be my client, give me the money. That's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, by and large, if I invested a certain amount of time and, and money into an event, I could reasonably expect a certain number of hot leads that at very good conversion rates would book. So when I moved more of my business into the online space, you know, I knew that there was going to be some drop-off, but the number drop-offs that I experienced were huge and I started getting very down on myself until I found out that I was actually still doing far better than average numbers. It just never occurred to me that you needed you know, 5,000 leads to convert two people from a webinar into a program. Those numbers were just so astronomical. It wasn't something I ever expected. And I think at least, you know, again, anecdotally, a lot of people come to the ad space like Facebook ads expecting one thing and then just being horribly shocked by how much traffic you really need. It really like the expectation setting is one of the most important things that we do before we even take a client on because it, there's that exact issue. Like even if, you know, someone's only ever had an online business, I found that it's still a real It's just a real different kind of way of looking at your business and how all of the costs and profit and the money that comes off for administration and the money that you're spending on the actual ad. So we always do a kind of a projection for people when we first start and run numbers for them because something that people often don't realize that when we know the math of a business right around awareness costs and traffic to leads to sales, if it's like in the most basic of terms, if we know what the conversion points are or the conversion numbers are for each of those points, we ultimately can then decide or the entrepreneur can decide how many sales they want and we can reverse engineer that and create ads and campaigns to create that number, which usually blows people's minds. And I'm not saying this like in a bro marketing way. I'm saying this like, this is just how marketing and understanding business math technically works. We go, okay, you want 10 sales? This is how many leads you need. This is how much traffic you need. This is how much your lead costs Therefore you know, this is how you get this. And it's often shocking, number one, that it's possible to do that, right? Because that's not something, especially from like a creative side of marketing and business that we really think about, you know, when people say like, what are your revenue projections? I remember when I first started in business, it's like, well, what does it even matter what I want? So for my own business, I had a really hard time connecting like those revenue goals that people would say, you know, once a year, sit down, make your revenue goal for the year, or even sometimes the quarter, and then make a plan to get there. I never was able to connect those two things very well when I started 11 years ago. I'm like, well, how do you even 
Like just because I want it doesn't mean it's going to magically appear. And now, you know, the decade later and, and being steeped in this all the time, I realize it's actually far more possible than I realized in the first place by knowing all of those numbers. And when we bring that to a business owner and then the cost of all the leads, right, they see right, you know, in black and white, this is how much that costs to run that kind of sales number. And sometimes it's shocking, right? Because it, it's everyone who kind of talks about Facebook ads from, you know, and yells about them from the top of mountains makes them sound like they are the easiest thing in the world or they're super cheap or any number of things. And yeah, that's just not always the case. And it can be a little bit affronting, which is why we always do expectation setting because it helps people ground what their goals are and what their expectations are in actual reality rather than just what we all hear, you know, through the ether and on social. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty common perception that you come to the Facebook ads game, you know, with the expectation that it's going to be dollars in and hundreds out. And it's just not like that for every industry or every kind of product or every type of conversion, obviously. But, you know, what you're saying is that to a certain extent, if you want X amount of revenue, it's pretty easy to backtrack, figure out how much you need in terms of leads and traffic, and then how much that's likely to cost and, and give a pretty decent projection of what someone can expect to invest in a certain campaign. Absolutely. Yeah. And just build out the whole for a lot of clients, if they, especially like membership sites and things, you can build out a plan for an entire year factoring in the churn that they have. And like, then you have to obviously like regain those members plus additional in order to grow. So it's, it's not even a very complicated spreadsheet that you end up building out with all of that kind of the knowledge of what their benchmarks are saying, okay, you need to hit, you know, 300 organic, 300 paid members every month into the membership. And then you'll hit this goal by, you know, January 1st. It's not that strange because conversion rates, like all of our human psychology, which is so funny we just don't actually change all that much. Like if someone's got an 8% conversion rate on this particular page, it often just stays at 8%. Like it's still crazy to me, but it's just, that's what it is, right? And unless you make any big changes, or you change the traffic type or the quality that are coming to those pages, you know, if it's basically like your email list and things, usually that stays pretty consistent unless something else drastic has changed. Gotcha. So I know when we were talking before we started this recording, we briefly talked a little bit about the differences between creatives and science types when it comes to marketing. So I'd love for you to touch on that. Oh, perfect. Yes, it's art. And I'm like, no, it's science. It's actually both. <laughs> Where Because especially when we're looking at marketing, and depending on, on kind of what your background is, and whether you come from a creative field or not, marketing, it's like that super fun, you know, creative discipline when it comes to the business side of things. And, and oftentimes the creative folks, when they're thinking like that branding, especially, and I'm sure you encounter this all the time, we're like branding is my logo and it's my colors and things like that. And not realizing that there is so much more, even in that creative space that we actually can measure. Like when it comes to copywriting, there's actually an entire science of copywriting where people gather like voice of customer data and actual things that people say and use that in their messaging and copy and value propositions for their business. So they're echoing back what people are actually saying about their personal problems um, in relation to the business. And it, there's, it's just so intertwined that I think sometimes it can get lost when people are just really focused on the visuals or, you know, creating the perfect grid and all of those things without realizing that there's a way to measure that the creativity that you're putting out is resonating with your people because it's great. Like I'm all for art for art's sake too. There's like that whole just personal expression side of the world. That's really, really important. But with marketing, 
the whole point of it is that you have a solution that helps other people. And if we're just being creative for our own, you know, creative expression, and we're not actually worrying about the person receiving it and whether they're receiving it well, then it's really just become all about us instead of all about our customer or potential customer. And that's where I see the beauty of both the science and the art combining, right? Where you can really self-express, be who you are, but also in such a way that the people that you're trying to reach and help can hear you, right? And that's that's such an important part. We don't want this to be an echo chamber of ourselves. We really want it to be a holistic experience or else you don't really have a business. And that's why I think those two things really do need to kind of exist together in the world. So springing from that, I know you said earlier that, you know, before someone can have a really successful campaign, like what we've been talking about, their business itself needs to work. And that if their business is not working, they're already not converting people, throwing money at it is just going to amplify the problem rather than fix the problem. So what are the benchmarks that somebody needs to accomplish, or at least be on their way to accomplishing before really creating a Facebook ad program? I guess there's two kind of different businesses that I look at. There's kind of the service space, the service provider, where if you're looking at uh, someone who needs to have sales calls, right, those discovery calls with people and signing people where you need far less people. That's kind of the one type of business. And we're looking at kind of more the higher volume online business where there's building an email list and then either doing sales to a program that's always open or to launch based programs, things like that. Those are two very kind of different buckets. And the one that I spend the vast majority of my time in is the course creator kind of launch group programs sort of space. Even though I am the service provider space, I am the other one. The conversion rates off of sales calls will be infinitely higher than the other space. So it's more like that in-person stuff that you were talking about. Like my close rate on sales calls is really, really high because I'm still having one-on-one conversations. I'm still having those personal connections with people. But so it's more about finding out what your sales rate is, like what your close rate is. You know, some people are at 20%, some people are at 70%. And it's just kind of knowing where you are, if you are a service provider, just knowing, you know, how many do I close there for? How many sales calls do I need a month? And then where are my you know, sales calls coming from? Are they referrals? I consider that more of like a nuanced networking approach. We just do it more in the online space. So if that kind of makes sense. But the course creator people, from traffic to your website, if we'll just for ease of things, just say that someone has a website and then we're building an email list into a course type system, group program, things of that nature. Traffic to the site, converting into leads should be about 1% to 3% general traffic. If you have landing pages, which... I hope you do. <laughs> that's so if people don't, that's always a great way to up this. Individual landing pages where traffic is sent directly to that landing page and there's nothing else that people can do on that page but leave their email. Those should be 20% conversion from cold traffic. If it's warm traffic, I usually like to see them above 50% if we're spending money on them, but that's kind of your benchmarks for a specific landing page and they're so much better than just sending traffic all to your site uh, as far as email list building. And then for sales to courses, it's usually between 1% to 3% of the email list is converting. So that's how you kind of back out of, if you have X sales goal for your course, when it opens, you know, what does that email list need to be? And then if you know what your email list needs to be, then, okay, what kind of traffic do you need to have coming to your landing pages in order to all make that happen? And, and the one caveat that I would say to the conversion rate issue is that if you have a highly niched business, you're often be ex- like quite a bit higher than that. Because uh, I have some clients that are converting at like 10% just general traffic, because they're like a speech language pathologist who's providing content for just that client, right? Like if you're super niche like that, 
it's not outside of the realm of just normal to be quite a bit higher than those averages. So if, if you do see that, know that, okay, not that that would be bad, <laughs> but if people see that, they're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. It's like, if you're super niche, it's, it's, it's because your audience is just so targeted that when your people find you, they just, they feel so dialed in that it's often converts at a lot higher rate. I think that's a great place to close. I love how you kind of ended on when people are so dialed in, it's easier to convert them because that's kind of both the science that you've been talking about and then the art portion I usually talk about in a nutshell right there. It's getting people dialed in. And I love that that's how you phrase that. I do my best. <laughs> Thanks, Rita. We so appreciate having you on here. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right. Thank you once again to Rita. I really enjoyed this talk. We could have gone on for a much longer amount of time, but I like to keep these episodes actionable, and that often means keeping them to a certain length. So thank you again to Rita for sharing all of this wisdom with us. See you guys next week. <laughs>